0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the fateful and for the fateful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Hey, David. How are you doing tonight?
0: Great. How are you?
1: Oh, all right. All right. Not the most thrilling game tonight, but the result was good.
0: Yeah, it's always... Um, I remember as a young fan of the Oilers, <clears throat> both in the, in the WHA and the, in the NHL, there was, uh, as teams were progressing from terrible to good, the key moment was reaching 500. And um, tonight, I know other people will beg to differ, but tonight the Oilers reached real 500 in that they now have as many wins as losses in the season, 13 wins and 13 losses. So, one of those losses came in <clears throat> was it a shootout or overtime anyway, but it's still a loss. And uh, so, tonight, as I define it, um, they're finally at real 500, which is significant because in the NHL, if you're at real 500, you're a good bet to make the playoffs. And we're going to talk about that a little later in the podcast. So, a 4 1 win for the owners, Battle of the Connors, um, Bedard versus McDavid. Wasn't that close? Of course, Bedard's team probably had about three players who could make the Oilers. Um, not much of a team. But, um, maybe Did Alex
1: Vlasic look good?
0: Did he? Yeah. Maybe there's four or five. I don't know if you really. Uh, maybe the goalie could. Mrazek might be able to be the backup on the Oilers. Mm-hmm. He's having a pretty good year. Uh, but, um, uh, these <sighs> are two good things. Two Bad Things and Two Numbers podcast, and we'll go with one conundrum as well. What's your good thing?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with Edmonton's fourth line, contributing another huge goal. at a huge time for the second game in a row. Uh, Late in the first period, in both cases, last game, it was the goal that put Edmonton ahead on a hard-working play where they won a board battle behind the net, made a quick centering pass, and Derek Ryan buried the... Uh, the shot off of a Sam Gagné pass uh, from the right side of the net. And today's goal was in many ways a carbon copy of that one with the puck battle be- behind the left side of the net. And uh, in this case, uh, I'll name Brett Kulak for going in and helping to uh, win that uh, battle along the boards. This time it was Ryan who got <clears throat> the puck and made the quick backhand pass out in front and Gagné, who scooped the quick shot upstairs and under the crossbar, and really it was the same goal both times, win the board battle, get the puck out in front, get a quick shot on net, and boom. And these guys, Derek Ryan and Sam Gagné in particular on that line, have enough skill that they can put the puck in the net, and they both have a long strings of double-digit goals uh, seasons that shows they're quite capable of doing just that. And... Uh, Tonight it was the goal that broke the one one tie in the uh, last two minutes of the first and stood up as the game winner when the dust settled a couple hours later in a four one win. but uh, when you got the fourth line, uh, contributing in that matter at the good end and giving up next to nothing uh, at the defensive end, uh, you know you're you're living the high life.
0: I love that line. The three wise men, mm. not fast, kind of mm-hmm. old, except for Hamlin,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: really, really smart. Mm-hmm. And um, just we saw it again on that goal. You know, Ryan, uh, he he saw Gagne coming in there, so he just flipped it out quick. Yep. Smart play. Yep. And um, yeah, they're just Wasn't they just don't no, stick for long. It was not, not at all. It's nice to see them get a goal, get some success. Of course, Gennie really does have high skill still in that stick. Mm -hmm. He can make plays, as can Ryan. As um,
1: did Ryan in this case. Yeah,
0: as did Ryan. So, excellent. So, Bruce, this was uh, Battle of the Two Connors and Connor McDavid, um, I mean, it's not really fair. Connor McDavid's in the prime of his career. Connor Bedard's 18. And Connor Bedard had some good moments in the game, also some iffy ones. He reminds uh, Bob Stauffer, comparison to Marcel Dion. He reminds me of like Joe Sakik, I think. Um, smaller player, kind of stocky, with a hell of a shot and some some real skill, who digs in hard. Well, see. anyway, those are two pretty good Hall of Fame players to be compared to. McDavid. Um, The orders came out really shaky in this game, but McDavid, I think, wasn't going to lose this game. And he made two absolutely fantastic passes on goals in this game. The first one, he just charges down the wing, charges up the ice down the wing. And uh, such a beautiful pass to Nugent Hopkins. He lofts the puck through the air. And uh, Nugent Hopkins Mm -hmm. makes an equally fine uh, strike of the puck, putting it um, back across the across the kind of flow of play back over the goalie's uh, shoulder into the top part of the net. It was just it was just a fantastic skill play by two exceptional players on an exceptional line, I guess. They're kind of off the charts in terms of production um for uh, an NHL line. Uh the fourth goal was also engineered by McDavid. Um he, it wasn't ha- much happening on the early third period power play, but he, he made a very nice move along the wall along just to get by a player find some space and again made a perfect pass to hyman who was unbelievably wide open in front of the net and and put it in i mean i don't know how a player gets that wide open in front of the net they just fell asleep chicago isn't that good a team so that might explain some of it but what a great play uh just high skill play by mcdavid throughout the game he was just charging around bossing the game Making great plays, making nice passes, dominating the game at every turn, every time he was on the ice. He is the league's MVP, and I know like, there's early talk about other players, Bruce. By the end of the year, uh, McDavid, having dragged this team from the very, was it the bottom? Near bottom, second, 31st in the NHL, um, into the playoffs is, is going to happen. He will be the league MVP. He's going to take over the scoring lead, and um, he's just the best player. There's no doubt about it, and he showed it again tonight.
1: Yeah, he was the best player tonight, and he was named the uh, first star of this game, and he's been a regular on the game star sheet after, I think it was a 12 or even 13 games at the start of the year where he wasn't named a star once. Wow. And then... Yeah, and then and it was and then they changed coaches, and then all of a sudden the the real McDavid returned. And I think the change of coaches was a coincidence. I think it was McDavid simply returning to health, and he's I agree. certainly looking pretty close to hundred percent these last three weeks now, where he's been bossing a lot of games. I think he's <laughs> yeah. said twenty five points in his ten game point streak. So that's a uh, that's a nice pace. <laughs>
0: that, is a, that is a nice pace. 2.5. That's what is it? A 200-point
1: 200-point season, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was Gretzky's sort of standard level, 2.5 points per game. He kept it up for years. Wow. Basically, 2.5. Uh, and he did, of course, post four 200-point seasons in that time. And uh, so, but even to do it for you know a stretch of games that's that's really that's really cooking with gas 2.5 points per game
0: your bad thing
1: and oh i was just going to add one other thing that you were talking about the rnh mcdavid hyman line and mike kelly uh posted the yeah, um, stats it. five on five stats in the seven games this is not including tonight's game when they they scored one and gave up none uh, 63-29 in shots, 36-6 to in slot shots, 24-2 to in rush chances, 90% of expected goals and 92% of actual goals, 11-4 and one against. So now they're 12-4 and one against in the last eight games. It's Oilers' first line. 12-1 to and basically two hours of hockey. So, just absolutely convincingly rolling team after team with this uh, unstoppable trio. That uh, uh, was it, Maddie. Was it you that said um, they sh- might get consideration for Team Canada as a line?
0: Wasn't me. I it's think Maddie. it must have been
1: Maddie. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. No, Maddie. they
0: definitely right. Like, why wouldn't you keep that group? <laughs> Depends on how old, old they all are by the time they get a Team Canada. Yeah,
1: it might be 2050 mm-hmm. by the time they ever get around to playing meaningful games again.
0: Yeah, and how healthy. But no, right now, oh. they would be a Team Canada line for sure.
1: First line.
0: Yeah, first <laughs> line.
1: <laughs> the way they're Hyman
0: going. Is playing so well. Like, man, he's oh. just so good with the puck. serpentining around the ice with the puck. He's, he is an amazing uh, puck carrier, which is something I just never expected from him. But, man, he can control the puck in the offensive end. Your bad thing, Bruce?
1: Yeah, my bad thing is uh, to the voters of the Northern Star Award for Canada's Athlete of the Year, who, again, once again this year, overlooked Connor McDavid having the best season of his entire career for a basketball player, and a very, very, very good basketball player, Shea Gildas Alexander, who made the NBA All-Star team and finished fourth in scoring, fifth in some other category or other that they listed in the in the in the thing. I mean, to me, the NBA and the NHL are more or less equal leagues at, at equivalent levels, and yet. It seems like when a Canadian does well in another sport, they're falling over themselves to vote for him. Connor McDavid has never won the Canadian Male Athlete or Canadian Athlete of the Year Award. And come on, guys. He had 153 points last year. He had 64 goals. He not only made the all-star team, same as SGA did, but oh yeah, he also won the Hart Trophy, the Art Ross Trophy, the Rocket Richard Trophy, and the Ted Lindsay Trophy, four major awards, had the uh, season of his life, and yet for the eighth season in a row, Canadian reporters and voters chose to overlook (sighs) men's hockey and find an athlete of the year in some other sport, and, hey, SGA had a great year, but I don't think he jumps the queue over Conor McDavid and what he did this year, and uh, I'm a little tired of him being taken for granted. Now, the, the one big difference between them is uh, SGA helped Canada win a bronze medal at the uh, top at the uh, Basketball World Championships. Well, there you and go. And, of course, in the NHL, we don't really do a lot of that kind of stuff anymore, so the chances of... You know, there's no Olympic gold or whatever because we're not doing that kind of stuff anymore.
0: He is a uh, prolific point scorer. You know, Bruce, I have have
1: something to admit. Fifth
0: in the league. Until you mentioned his name tonight, Mm -hmm. I had never heard of his I don't follow the NBA at all.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, I, I watch highlight packages and the guy's great. They always show him on highlight reels. Yeah. But he is not Connor McDavid. I'm yeah. sorry.
0: I watched the NBA, the, the last game of the NBA finals, and I just thought it, mm-hmm. it didn't look like an, a very attractive product to me, kind of chaotic. And I don't know, maybe, maybe. and I used to be a huge NBA fan, but I just have lost track and I'm not at all interested now to the point where I didn't even know about this player. Anyway, congratulations to him, but I agree. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Nothing against that guy at all. I just think uh, it's high time Connor McDavid got his due. It's ridiculous. He's not going to get it for a 150-point season, you know, leading the league in goals and assists and points.
0: Well, maybe if they get back in the Olympics, they'll win it that year.
1: And I had no other bad things to really say about this game. So All right. Mine's I the... Bent uh my spleen on the uh, voters. There you go.
0: My bad thing is the start of the game, the orders came out super sloppy <laughs> and asleep at the wheel. And, of course, three minutes and 20 seconds into the game, uh, there's a combination of bad things that happened. And I know... Evan Bouchard will get the most blame because he was kind of Johnny on the spot. And you're thinking, why isn't he taking Bedard? Well, in fact, Bouchard's man was the player ahead of him. And he, he kind of got a little focused on the player ahead of him on the boards thinking he might get the pass. And Bedard did sneak in behind him. But the reason Bedard had a break is the Cody CC had been waiting to change um, Chicago at possession of the puck. And I think he needed to make sure that like they passed it back one final time. Towards the other, towards the uh, bench side of the boards, and he thought, okay, here's my chance. So he went to change, but just then Chicago sprung on the attack, and and Bedard cut across the ice in behind Bouchard, and uh, because there there was no because of that line change, Ekholm was a little late into the play, and that allowed Bouchard that allowed the the Bedard to break in. It, It was. Somewhat Bouchard's fault, but really the, the other defenseman, Bouchard was coming from that side. So, um, excuse me, uh, Bedard was coming from that side, and uh, if CeCe had stayed on the ice, he would have had that player, probably nothing would have happened. But he changed it off, eckholm came on, and eckholm was a little late then, getting to the shot. And even then, he had a chance to probably he get a stick on Pac, but he got beat by a great move by Bedard, and it was a fantastic move, I think either before Quite the game slow. or some highlight reel they'd shown how he scores this kind of goal where he he suddenly moves his hands out and is able to he's so strong and his stick he's able then to to change the angle of the shot and get it upstairs he did the exact exact play on that goal and it beats Stu skinner it is a great shot it's a dangerous shot and um i'd love to see and i'd love to see a canadian olympic team with bedard Crosby and McDavid on it and I hope that they can we can get a best on best tournament in time for that to happen.
1: 2026 would be the one. Crosby will have to hang
0: in there I mean he's having a pretty good year this year isn't he he's he's still hanging in there so. Um, Oh yeah
1: he's still still a very good player Yeah, what Bedard does with his shot I've noticed it since he was in junior and I certainly noticed it tonight is he's quite comfortable shifting the puck within the uh what I call the arc of influence of the of the checker, you know, inside the guy's stick and shooting it from, in right inside the guy, and a lot of guys will hold the puck somewhere outside where the other guy can reach with his with his stick and shoot from there. And the truly great scorers, if they're quick, you got to be super quick to get it in there and get it off your stick. And and he showed all of that. And of course he absolutely sniped the top corner. That was a pretty goal.
0: That was, I've heard that called the attack triangle by yes, uh, the that, legendary skills than what coach, I call Jim Fleming, mm-hmm. calls it the attack triangle and you can stick handle in there and sometimes get, get a there. shot off if you're yeah. Connor Bedard. I've never actually been able to do that
1: myself.
0: <laughs> it's all theoretical for me, but, um, oh. you know, in my uh
1: Gretzky used My to density. thread thread the puck in and out of there and pass from in there yeah. and more or less do what he liked from in there. But uh, the elite shooters are happy if they can sort of make one move with the puck into that space and then just snap it off. And we saw an expert, 18-year-old expert, showing off his uh, his skill on that.
0: Yeah. Today. Yeah, McDavid often is in that attack triangle doing a yes. stick handling and shooting. Like he lives there, right? That's that's mm-hmm. what separates him from a lot of players.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm What's quicker your, than you. That,
0: <laughs> is he ever? Is he ever? He's just, <laughs> his level of skill is it's just jo- a joy to watch Connor McDavid's level of skill game in, game out. Bruce, what is your um, number?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with number seven, and that is, believe it or not, the number of periods in a row that Oilers have won every single one of them by one goal. Uh, they were tied after a bad second period against Minnesota. They were tied 3-3, uh, and they pulled that off by scoring the lone goal of the third period. Uh, then on Sunday they came out and they... Uh, they. Uh, outscored New Jersey one nothing in each of the first and second periods and 2-1 in the third to win 4-1. And then tonight they flipped that around. They won 2-1 in the first and then one nothing in the second and the third. And just seven periods in a row where they managed to put one more on the board than the other guys. And that's a pretty long streak of that kind. I mean, I don't track it exactly. I just know enough to know that you. it's pretty hard to win every period for an extended length of time. And we're seeing it in the results, convincing wins, you know, 4-1, 4-1. Uh, and, I mean, they they held their opponents to one goal in three of the last four wins here since uh, since the little break that they had at the beginning of December. They've only given in six goals, and three of them came in that one bad period against Minnesota and only three others in the other 11 periods. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Bruce, um, my number is one. The Oilers are now one point out of the final wild card spot in the West held by Arizona. Arizona has 28 points in 28 games. Mm-hmm. The Oilers have 27 points in 26 games. And I think when the Oilers got rolling under Knobloch, maybe after the first win under Knobloch, you and I talked about how it might take, if things went well, and we were still. Fairly optimistic, or somewhat optim— we were we were somewhat optimistic at that point that they would go well. We thought it would take about two and a half months, I think, was the number that I raised, if I recall correctly. that It would take 200, two and a half months for them to battle back into a playoff spot. Well, uh, they're not there yet, but it's been about a month, eh? Um, it was December tw- or November twelfth that Woodcroft was fired, and it's December twelfth today. So it's a month and they're almost there. This is just as um, it's, um, you know, we were talking previously about the, the, I was saying how this run that w- Knobloch is on is, is it's such a high level that the orders are playing at. So I did go back and look at the s- smaller segments of games under Woodcroft mm-hmm. um, during his two seasons. And there was three other mm-hmm. 12 game, 13 game segments where yeah. the orders were this good. Um, mm-hmm. Under Woodcroft, so it's not, it's not, it wasn't, it's not the highest ever level right now under Knobloch, but it he, he this team has reached the high that the orders were right at the end of last season for the last I think thirteen games
1: fourteen oh and one they ended last year
0: yeah, and then there was a there was a a, a period um, about games forty two to fifty three something like that last season when they also had a really great run. Now, mm-hmm. they didn't win as many games because the goaltending wasn't as solid, but they just they were a dominant team when it came to flow of play and goals and grade A shots and all that right. stuff. And then towards the end, just before the end of the of the previous Woodcroft's first season with the team, they also had a, a run that long where they were this good. So, you know, yes. Knoblock is getting a lot of uh praise, rightfully. There's still a lot of people though who hold out that Woodcroft did a excellent job with the oilers and this team could have easily turned around under him um i guess my point is we will never know the answer to that question but we do know mm-hmm. that woodcroft did at various times have this team playing at an extremely high level and knoblock has accomplished the same thing um just when 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 the team really needed it if we're fair to woodcroft we will mention that all kinds of players were getting healthier and healthier mm-hmm.
1: But David we yeah, mentioned um, already, but Eckholm is a clear example.
0: Kulak and McLeod and mm-hmm. Yeah. So and Kane. Um, all of them getting healthier. Um, and we'll deal with another one in the conundrum in a second. Mm-hmm. But the um yeah, good for Knobloch and but good for Jay Woodcroft. He he did an exceptional job with the Edmonton Oilers and and I don't and I I think it's uh I think everyone recognizes that, actually. I'm not arguing it. So I'm not really... Very few people attack him strongly.
1: The percentages just killed him. Like, they're, both their shooting and save percentages were yeah. terrible. A- anybody who watched the games would say... I mean, there was just so much crap happening against the Oilers. You know, they got so, you know Philip Broberg stepping on a stick, you know, on the neutral zone, oh, yeah. stuff like that. they just like what's going on and it just seemed to happen game after game it wasn't just an odd game here or there and eventually uh, I guess the dam broke and certainly you can point at things that have improved under Chris Knobloch I mean the penalty kill is just night and day yes way better Uh, but the penalty kill had know pretty good results last year especially when you consider net results you know because they scored a lot of shorthanded goals and yeah their, and their net goal yeah. differential was pretty good but anyways it's uh, i'm actually going to have a comparison of these two uh, coaches because they now each had 13 games so it's a good time to sort of have a look and see what's happening different obviously the Oilers are winning way more games but it's um yeah. You know, in terms of the underlying numbers, in terms of producing, you know, winning the the shots battle and uh, and so on, it's not so different. They they were shooting well, teams, is... but they were they you know they had they were mm-hmm. shooting from behind. They were playing from behind. Yeah, they were
0: they weren't getting as many five alarm chances. They were the the, the opposition had more five alarm chances than the did yeah. under Woodcroft Bruce. Now the orders are getting significantly more than the opposition. so the underlying numbers maybe in shots or shots at net uh, mm-hmm. under woodcroft might have been okay, but on the most dangerous chances right. they weren't that great. Uh, they were okay ish, mm-hmm. but now they're excellent. now they're out of this world yeah
1: well, the under one of the things that underlying numbers sometimes do is lying uh, yes. uh, I mean, there are statistics, right? Yes. lies damn lies and statistics and in some cases you know those underlying numbers made woodcroft's oilers of this year look better than they were yeah but the scores of games made them look way worse than they were and yeah, the truth, that's fair. truth lies somewhere in the middle as as they like to say yeah. so you you say edmonton's one point back and i'm looking at the percentage column david and they're actually in the second wild card spot, 13, 12, and 1 for 27 points and a 519 percentage. And Arizona in third, at 12, 13, and 2. Uh, for, sorry, 13, 13, and 2 for a 500 points percentage. So they play two more games and have one more point. And then St. Louis, 13, 14, and 1, 482. And here's the funny thing. When the Oilers came back from their their, uh, their little break there uh, seven days ago, mm-hmm. uh, St. Louis and Arizona were both on a roll, and they, they built up this suddenly lean, and we we're looking yeah. at the standing, thinking, that's going to take a while. And since then, both Arizona and St. Louis have gone o four and 0 Lost four nice. straight games, and Edmonton's gone 4 and zero, and made up eight points on both teams that they were chasing. Sweet, and so they caught both of those teams, and now only Nashville, that's sort of uh, on a bit of a heater as well, is still you know a little bit in front of them. But the, the Oilers are, are, I would say, in the second wild card position when you include games in hand. Uh, what's going to be a little harder is overtaking the uh, leaders in their division. Because if you look at the last 10 games in the West, Edmonton's got the best record, 8-2-0. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, second best are the Kings at 7-2-1, and the Golden Knights at 6-1-3. So they orders to gain just one point on each of those teams. And they are, you know, nine behind L.A. and a whopping 18 behind Vegas, albeit with four games in hand. But uh, they've got... Uh, Uh, If those teams keep winning, it's going to be hard to catch them, right? It's a lot easier to catch teams that are on four-game losing streaks, which, by the way, St. Louis apparently fired Craig Berube after the game tonight. So there's a man with a local uh, connection and uh, one of the great statues I've ever seen in uh, uh, his little town of Callahoo, Alberta, population 70-something, people, <laughs> not 70,000, 70, 70. Uh, 85, maybe it's 85, Callahoo, anyway, he was one uh, won the Stanley Cup from, uh, if you're ever in Callahoo, which is out a little northwest of Edmonton, you're driving by it on uh, Highway 37, dip in to take the turn off and drive in about half half a kilometre and right in downtown before the community center ice rink, there's this fantastic wood carving of Craig Beruvi in a full headdress holding the Stanley Cup over his head. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs>
0: I'll have to go see that. I've been to who <laughs> I, I missed that.
1: Well, it's kind of new, you know, unless you were there oh, since 2019. Not, I think
0: I was there in minor hockey for a practice yeah, or a game or right. something.
1: Right. If you were there since 2019, they put it up sometime in sort of the year or so after Baruby won the Cup. Uh, anyways, he got uh, he got let go tonight, and uh, so there's another good coach on the market. I suspect he'll land on his feet.
0: Oh, yeah. But, if you win a Stanley Cup, you get another chance.
1: Mm-hmm. So...
0: Bruce, tonight's conundrum, we'll deal with Connor Brown. Okay, let's deal with, let's just start with a prediction. Um, thir- 30 or 40 games from now,
1: mm-hmm. what do you
0: think most fans will be saying about Connor Brown's play in that moment? What's your best guess?
1: Oh, uh, well, they'll likely be complaining. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go way out on a limb with that one, unless he suddenly <laughs> starts lighting the lamp with regularity. Uh-huh. Uh, he's one of these, uh, uh, I mean, it's easy to get frustrated, especially with the contract and the bonus that has yet to kick in. Mm-hmm. Like he's like a, uh, if you include the bonus, he's like a four times as expensive version of Matthias Janmark doing more or less the same things, which a lot of them are good things. He's a really fine penalty killer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he was disrupting the penalty kill again tonight. He disrupted the penalty kill the last game. Uh, was it Jack Hughes? He took him out in the center zone two two rushes in a row where, he, where Jack Hughes couldn't get through center because Connor Brown <laughs> took the puck off him. And, you know, and tonight he did it. But when he got they came down and got his chances, he kept missing the net. Did he ever hit the net man, you know, and I'm sure he's getting frustrated and uh, I mean, I'm sure he's beyond getting he's gotten frustrated and he's really pressing when he does get those chances and he keeps hitting posts. He had a goal disallowed, you know, eventually it's going to come, but I'm not saying it's going to come and he's going to start scoring like Zach Hyman. Uh, but I do think in 30 or 40 games, we'll be talking about a guy with, say, eight goals as opposed to zero, like he still has now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't have any strong memory of him before. He was missed a year due to injury, a right. uh, leg injury. Was it a knee injury?
1: Yes, ACL. Okay.
0: I don't have any memory of him. I don't know how strong a skater he was, how fast he was.
1: His streaming is he
0: particularly slow, mm-hmm. but he doesn't look particularly fast right now. Now, the skating could still come. And I just, I guess, I mean, I put, when the season's on, I tend to put the contracts out of my mind, honestly. Yes, like, in terms of, that's of the way to do it. Ra- rating and ranking the players is not top of mind for me. So, I, I, I don't really, I'm not thinking about, I mean, yeah, I, I think, I know what it means. Mm-hmm. I know what it means for the cap next year, but. whatever i just think um Mm. i still have a lot of patience for this player i don't think he hurts the team he's kind of like adam ernie but a little bit better as a checker you know adam Ernie didn't get much done brown is a better checker and he is good on the pk so he does help you win in that regard that's a big regard that's a big matter Mm -hmm. pk so that's a feather in his cap at even strength they have this conundrum with Dreisaitl and Kane in him, the line doesn't work. It's clear it doesn't work. You can't break up the top line, though. You cannot break up that top line. They're winning. There's no reason to break it up. It's the best line in the NHL. It's one of the best lines in hockey. Only Dave Tippett heading into the playoffs would break up that line. <laughs> um, which is what he did one year, break up the best line in hockey heading into the playoffs because
1: he needed to. Eight minutes in the first period he put. McDavid and Drysaddle together and just stuck with him. Oh, God, I hated that move.
0: Anyway, um, was that the 2020, the COVID playoffs? Yeah, that was the... Well, it was
1: kind of both of them under Dave Tippett. Did the same thing against the Jets the next year. Yeah,
0: anyway, um, you don't break up the top line. Even if Leon Drysaddle's unhappy, you don't break up the top line. (laughs) You um, say, Leon, figure it out. You're a great player, you figure it out. And I liked actually what the coach did in the second period, putting um, Fogel and Yanmark with dry subtle Those two players are, are pretty good players. They're, I think they're underrated players. They have a lot of critics here in Edmonton, but I think they're both fine two-way hockey players. Um, they don't have great hands, but they're fast and they're aggressive and they can make plays. And I think might be actually fairly decent wingers for dry subtle in the short term. I don't mind. Like if they mixed and matched if they put Kane with one of those two and dry settle, I think that might be the best ticket. Brown needs to be on a checking line. I think it, I think it's too much pressure to be on in the top six to make plays. Cause he's, he's struggling to make plays. He's having trouble with his confidence. He's, he's pressing, he's giving away the puck. He looks nervous. Just put him in a checking role and tell him to check the snot out of the um, opposing team. Ryan McLeod is the centre, maybe Fogel on the wing, on the other wing. And you can have a, I think there'll be a decent checking line. Um, I don't see Brown being any kind of problem in that area. And then mm-hmm. Janmark and Kane and Dreisseltel might, you know, they'll have fewer defensive problems with Janmark because he's yeah. the best defensive winger at even strength on the orders. And um, they'll get a bit more on the attack because Janmark um, plays well on the attack. He can make plays now and then. So that would be um, my solution for the brown conundrum in the short term and in the long term. I like do they think did tonight. Yeah, like they did tonight. good for the coach. That was a, Coach K got that right. And I think in the long term, I, I, I still hold. And what what crosses my mind when I see all these negative and nasty comments about Brown, I just think um, people should people uh, when the playoffs come and he he's he's a good player and he helps you win games. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think people will remember their nasty comments, but maybe just, I just think maybe hold back on that kind of stuff. It's
1: not helping.
0: It's until the season, until the season's well, like, what's the point? He's, he's trying his heart out. You can see that he's trying, he's hustling. He's coming back from a major injury, takes time. It's going to take time. It is taking time. I understand everybody's frustrated and a lot of people hate Ken Holland for that signing, whatever. like, You know, just, just know that this player, there's a really good chance this player is going to be good. And all you, all you were missing was patience.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's all. That's my, my uh, final thought on the matter. Just how I'm going to try to have that patience anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, he, uh, he won the, uh, uh, gold medal for Canada at the World Championships in 2021, which is not very long ago. He led the team, uh, and in fact, he led the tournament in uh, uh, most points with 16 points, including 14 assists in 10 games, uh, playing on a very good line with Adam Henrique and Andrew Pani. And that was a Canadian team that lost the first three games, and then they rolled through and they won seven straight games in dramatic fashion to win. And he was fantastic in that tournament. I watched almost all of those games, and and he was phenomenal. And that line was just uh, on fire. Now it's one little tournament, but it, it, uh, enough on display in that one little tournament, you can't just say, well, the guy's just a plumber. You know, I mean... He's not. He's struggling. And I, my, my only concern is I keep getting flashbacks of Andre Sekera pre and post ACL. Yeah, and how that it took a while. Changed, it, it completely changed him. And he came back, he was diminished. Yeah. Of and and course, enough, he already had the contract, whereas in this case, Holland gave him the contract after he got the injury. So, it, it, you know, it's going to be scrutinized. But it's a little bit early to be casting final judgment. Is this guy I, I, I I'm with you. I think he will help the team. I'm not sure I'm pretty sure he won't be four million dollars worth of help, but he's here. and you know, trading him just for the sake of getting rid of him, like some are suggesting, even though they would still have to eat that bonus makes no sense at all. He's gonna oh, no. he's gonna help the team. He's, well, a, he's he's a worker bee and you know and say penalty killing tonight, top two penalty killers for ice time for the oilers. Jan Mark and Brown, which is a pairing, and they've yeah. been very, very good.
0: So he only has one assist in twenty games. So like the people who are criticizing him have, you know, obviously yeah. he's not performing at any kind of reasonable level for an NHL forward, especially getting cherry excellent minutes like he's been getting. I mean, we all know that this isn't this isn't a, this is not unknown to us. But um, yeah, we'll just see. Like, and and you're right, Bruce. It could be 20 games for now. It's just apparent he's never going to be the same skater, and or it's gonna or maybe never. Or maybe it's gonna take a, even a year for him to get to get it back together. Um, Sekera got better when he went to Dallas, I believe. Like he, I think he he improved a bit, but it may it may maybe you're right. Maybe this is like Sekera, and he's just never gonna get that burst that he had and that he needed, that every player needs. I mean, so that's a possibility, but we'll know more. As the season unfolds, it sometimes takes a while. And not to forget, he missed games this year because of yeah. injury. So not only was he hurt last year, he yeah. had some kind of injury this year. And he's still working his way back from that injury, whatever. Yeah,
1: I think he was better before the injury. And I, I'll be interested to see. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm looking at the first 13 versus the second 13. I suspect he might be one Oiler player who actually shows a little worse in the second set of games because he got hurt kind of in between and since he came back he's he's had uh, maybe a little bit more struggles
0: i think so and i think our numbers show that with contributions to grade a shots he's struggling to to, to to have a hand in them like sometimes he wins a battle that'll lead to a great a shot but in terms of like a pass or a shot himself they're few and far between so well bruce uh, i think we've covered the territory uh next game is
1: Friday. Two nights from now, Thursday against Tampa Bay Lightning.
0: Thursday. Oh, Tampa Bay.
1: Yep. And then Florida Panthers following up on Saturday. All right. So we got the same two Florida teams that uh, uh, that extinguished multiple Oilers leads in consecutive games and came back to win them in uh, in regulation. So Oilers have got a little paying back to do yet. And uh, might as well start with the Bolts.
0: All right. I like the cut of your jib there, Bruce. <laughs> All right. Thanks I for like talking. Eight
1: wins in a row. And I, I do have to correct myself for a hideous mistake I made last podcast. The Orders had a nine-game winning streak last year at the end of the oh. year. They won five straight. They they lost one in the, in the overtime. And then they won nine straight, which tied their all-time club record. So I uh, was sort of reaching for when was the last time they had a winning streak this long. It wasn't that long ago. In fact, it was in calendar year 2023, Bruce. So I'm much better on the stuff from like 1968, 1983 (laughs) and stuff like that. (laughs) It's funny how the memory works. Anyways, uh, uh, eight in a row and a chance to tie that uh, club record on uh, Thursday night.
0: Bruce, thanks for talking
1: tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.